you'd like to look, we'll look in Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter 10, so um, we'd like to start reading maybe down in verse 24 and then maybe back up and look at some of the scripture leading up to that before we start digging in there. Uh, So Matthew 10 verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak and preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. We'll stop there. We might look a little farther than that later on. Um, But here in the last few verses of chapter 9, the Lord's telling his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest that the Lord would send forth laborers because the harvest is plenteous. And I I believe we could see that in our day, uh, really no matter which way you look at it, whether it's the church in need of strength and grace and encouragement or a lost world that's in absolute darkness. Certainly the harvest is plenteous And we need, you know, not that I would decide that I'm going to be a laborer, but we need the Lord to send some laborers into the harvest to work the work of God. And in chapter 10, that's exactly what's going to happen. The Lord Jesus is going to send these disciples. It lists their names here in the first few verses. And He's going to send them out to go to the cities of Israel and to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to do all these wondrous works. He's going to give them power to do so. He says, don't take scrip, don't take money, don't take a sword, don't take two coats. You're going, you're going to spread the word of God. And then we come to verse 16. And he says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now think about that picture now. A sheep who's no no defenses, no ability to protect itself. And, you know, if there's not a shepherd, and you don't see shepherds today, we have dogs or donkeys in there to protect them from the danger. So as you look at this situation, Jesus said you're going to be like sheep among wolves. 
it's going to appear that you're defenseless and that you're helpless and that you've got no power to do anything with thee. But you know, to the eyes of the world, they, they can't see it, but you and I as the people of God, we know that we have a good shepherd. And you know, really, he's, he's going to encourage us here. They're going to bring them before councils. They're going to whip them in the synagogue. There's going to be many of these men that are going to lose their lives in the future. They're going to go through great affliction, great trouble, great suffering and pain. And you know, you, you think, you think just, just like we do today, well, they don't deserve this. Why is the Lord letting them go through this? And I know that this first verse we read, it sounds elementary, but this is where we all, I believe, in the carnal mind, recognizing that we've got an enemy, the devil. And you know, the devil says, just you could go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The devil told Adam and Eve, look, God really don't care for you. What he's done is limited you so that you wouldn't be able to enjoy life. Really, the best fruit in the whole garden, God told you you couldn't eat it. But you know what he was doing? He was lying to them. He was wanting to harm them. Certainly we have the same enemy today. And as these men were going to suffer and be afflicted, don't you know that in the mind the devil is going to say to you, this ain't right. You're, this God shouldn't be allowing this. Even as John the Baptist was in prison, you remember, and he had already testified that Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But there he was in prison and he sent some disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one? Well, he says here, the disciple is not above his master. Here's something, and you know it's amazing how we are in the flesh. But we are this way and we do forget all that the Lord, the Master, the, the Savior of the world, all that He endured. And He reminds us in Hebrews 12, I don't think you could look at this scripture without thinking about Hebrews 12, where He says, Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. So here we look to the Lord Jesus and we see how that He was ridiculed, how that He was hated, how that men despised Him, how that He was made fun of. You know, I, I believe maybe that's about as far as it goes for us today uh, in striving with the world. But here's the Lord. He's not only hated and talked evil of and, and made fun of and ridiculed, but they're going to do it to His face and they're going to spit on Him. They're going to pluck His beard. It's going to go beyond the, the mental suffering. He's going to suffer in the flesh. They're going to beat Him with whips. They're going to beat Him with cat and nine tails. They're going to smite Him with their hands. He's going to endure this great affliction and great suffering. So the Lord did that, that you and I could be born again. That we could be delivered from darkness and sin. He suffered I mean, can, do you think that we could imagine what the Lord went through that day as He was hung on the cross? As He was tried, as He was mocked, as He was ridiculed. A man that could have called ten legions of angels 
and delivered him from that situation. And yet he endured it. That word means to stay under. He said, Father, if it's your will, I'm going to stay under this, that salvation might be brought to your church. So he tells us in Hebrews, look unto Jesus, lest you be wearied. And I believe that's about the same thing the Lord is saying to the disciples. You're not above me. Who are you to think that you shouldn't suffer after all of the suffering that I've endured? Who are you to think that you don't deserve it when I... What was he? He was innocent. He was perfect. He had never failed and never sinned. And yet he endured the suffering of the cross. And so here he says, the disciples not above his master, the servant above his Lord. It is enough. It's sufficient. It's fitting that the servant would be like the master. And so as the Lord Jesus has suffered, so also shall we suffer for the Lord. And that's what he's telling his disciples. If they've called the master of the house, Beelzebub. So that's just, that's Satan. They call Jesus Christ a servant or a messenger of Satan. Now if that's what they're going to call Jesus, who was perfect, he was perfect in his uh, preaching of the Word of God, his teaching, and he was perfect outside of the church house, then what are they going to do with a man like me who is a failure on a daily basis, who uh, is apt to fail and apt to err and apt to say and apt to do the wrong thing. If Jesus was a servant of Satan, then what are they going to call me? Should I expect to be treated any differently than the Lord Jesus was? If I'm going to walk and live like the Lord, I should expect to be treated and be despised like the Lord was despised and like the Lord was treated. You know, Uriah in uh, 2 Samuel 11 Uh, David was trying to get him to go home and be with his wife to cover up his sin. And Uriah said, uh, Joab, Joab was the general over the army of Israel. Joab and Joab's servants and the armies of Israel and Judah, they're all out there in the field. They're camped in tents and they're going to war. Why should I go to my house and eat and drink and lay with my wife. You know what he was saying? If they're out there, if the general's out there, then that's where I ought to be. Well, that's the way the church ought to look at this. If the Lord Jesus went to the cross, if He endured the suffering and the shame of that, if He was uh, uh, willing to bear the afflictions that He bore, then should we not be willing to bear some affliction in this world? True. So he says, we're not above our master. If they called the master Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? But fear not them, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. You reckon that there's a lot of hypocrisy that goes on today. I mean, the the disciples, they're going to be afflicted and despised by religious people. 
people that claim that what they're doing is God's work. But the Lord Jesus gives us, and we're going to see several different reasons why we should endure. Here's the first reason. Everything's going to be uncovered one day. You know, the Lord Jesus, you think about Him, uh, the last time they saw Him was in shame. He was in weakness. He was suffering. He was giving up the ghost. They were burying Him. But you know, the day's coming that what He really was is going to be uncovered under the eyes of the world. The world may mock and make fun of the Lord today. They may think not of His Word. But the day is coming that the Lord's going to come in power and in glory and He's going to be uncovered. He's going to be revealed even to those that despised Him. So the same is going to be for the church as well. Though we may be despised, the day is coming that the church will win absolute victory. The day is coming that as the Lord comes back, the church is going to be called up with Him in the air. Those that are dead in Christ and those that are alive and remain, they're all going to be changed and with glorified bodies they're going to stand with the Lord. And you know the world that's despised and made fun and hated and downtrodden and tried to cast down on the church and on the people of God, the day's coming that what we really are is going to be uncovered. Though we may endure for a season, though we may endure for a while, and the devil says God's forgot about you, and God's not going to do anything, and he's just going to let this go on, and if God really loved you, he'd do something about it. Well, Jesus says, there's a day coming, it's going to be uncovered and revealed. And you know, that on the flip side of that also, what they really are. What the hypocrites really are. The actors, the fakes, what they are is also going to be uncovered. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't, and I'm not going to try to claim to know how. But I know this, everything that's hidden is going to be uncovered. Everything that they desire to hide and to keep from man. And you know, uh, for the church, I think there's the flip side. We want it to be known. We'd like for people to know what we really are. The Lord Jesus through His teaching and preaching and His miracles and His works, that was all a revelation of what He was. But they didn't see it. And so should we expect the same from us? I I believe we should expect it. And so the day's coming that what we desire to be made known is going to be revealed. God is going to reveal in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ what He's done for us and what we truly were. You know, you think about Noah, I believe a wonderful picture of what's coming one day. Noah, no doubt a man ridiculed, a man despised, a man made fun of, a man thought nothing of, his ministry thought nothing of. They said, why God's not spoke to you, it's not going to rain, all of manner of things. But you know, when the judgment did come, when Noah's preaching did come true, and when the ark began to float, don't you know that the world in that day, they said that man was right. What he said was right. What was hidden to them was revealed. That's going to happen one day. 
the Lord told these Pharisees in another place, He said, you're going to be weeping and with gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob enter in and you're thrust out. The world is going to see the church exalted in Jesus Christ one day. What's hidden is going to be revealed. So he says in Corinthians, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will bring to light both the hidden things of darkness and will manifest the counsels of the heart. So know this, what's truly in the heart is going to be made manifest in one day or another. And you know, I say this, God could bring secret things to manifest today if He's so pleased. It don't have to be the last judgment for God to open up and reveal. But know this, if He doesn't reveal it today, and if I get by with it today, know that there's a day that what's really in my heart is going to be revealed. Not just what I do in secret, but even the hidden counsels of the heart, the thoughts and desires of my heart that I desire to keep hidden from you, God's going to make it manifest one day. A day of deliverance is coming. So fear not, because I'm going to uncover and reveal what's been hidden. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. What you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. What's the Lord saying to these disciples? Well, remember in Acts, they're going to be told, and they're going to be forbidden, and they're going to be whipped for it. They're going to be imprisoned for it. Peter's going to be put on death row to die the next day, not for stealing, but for preaching and teaching the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord is saying here, He's saying, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them because I'm going to uncover what it really is and you go and speak the Word of God. What I reveal to you what I've shown you, what I've done for you, don't be ashamed of that in a lost world. You go and tell it without shame. Don't let them make you to hide. Don't let them make you to run. Don't feel like you can't do it. But you go and tell, and you tell and fear them not. Don't let them to discourage you in your work and in your labor for the Lord. And so, verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, I shouldn't be afraid because the Lord's going to make manifest one day. What I really am is going to be manifested. Now that's glorious for the people of God. We will achieve victory as the Lord is victorious. As He overcomes and is delivered, so we will overcome and be delivered. But you know, for them that are in darkness, that's a terrible, terrible thing. For a hypocrite, for the truth to be revealed is a terrible thing. But thank God for the church, those that are in Christ, it's victory. And also... Fear not them which kill the body. You know, Jesus is saying, the only thing these people can do is take your natural life. And you say, well, wait a minute, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. And it is. And you know, they're going to lose their lives. 
They are. Uh, of course, Judas, one of the twelve, he's a betrayer. He's going to take his own life. But out of the other twelve, if you bring Paul the Apostle in, all of them but John is going to have their life taken from them by man's hands. They're going to be martyred. And you know, you think, well, wait a minute. If I'm dying for this, what good is that doing? But you know, it was the will of God for those men to die the way they died for the cause and witness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was. It was the will of God. And so he says, don't fear them which kill the body. The one you ought to be afraid of is the one that's got more power. I can take your natural life from you and then I can take your soul and cast that into hell. Now which one should we be afraid of? Remember Peter Peter said it this way to them in the temple there as they forbid them to preach. He said, you tell us what's better. Should we obey men or should we obey God? Which one should we bow down to? I mean, when you compare the two, is there any comparison? So Jesus says, don't fear them that can only take your natural life. Rather, fear Him who has power over body and soul. But though, though they can take natural life, and though they will... There's more down in here. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. So sparrows, they were used uh, if a leper was cleansed. They were to bring two sparrows. To One would be slain and the other would be released. And that was the ceremony of the cleansing of a leper. And you know what they were? They were the most insignificant, and don't quote me on this, it's about a cent or a fraction of a cent is what a farthing is worth. And one farthing, one fraction of one penny, bought two of them. I mean, they were nothing, weren't they? They were worthless. You could buy one and not even notice a part of your paycheck was gone. They were that that man did not value much. Well, preacher, man just don't value us much. Well, I'll tell you this. The Lord said that though two sparrows are sold for a farthing, they may be the meanest, the least thought of, the least regarded, and the lowest valued creature on the face of the earth in the eyes of man. Yet know this that not one of them shall fall to the ground. And it doesn't say without the Father knowing, but without your Father. So God is in control, and God is mindful of, and you talk about providence now. Sometimes it amazes me to look back at my life at how God's provided naturally, and spiritually for me as the years went by. And maybe at the time I was unaware of it. But as you look back over your life, you can see where God provided grace and strength and instruction and help right when you needed it. <clears throat> but here is God now in the life of the lowest creature that you can think of and God is providently providing for them. And do you know that not one sparrow, whether it's caught in a trap, whether it's shot with a shotgun, whether it flies into a window, you know that not one sparrow's going to die without the Father being in control of that. Right. True. 
I tell you, if, if we can take peace in anything, it's in the power and in the control of God the Father. Jesus says that not one sparrow is going to die without the Father doing it. Without your Father. So you think now, every sparrow that's died, God has been in control of the situation and put them there for it to be. Do you believe that? Would you think about the control and the power and the knowledge that God has that even, the I don't even know if you could number them, but that God is providently in care of even the lowest of the low. And so he says, not one, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs, and notice, this gets quoted a lot and it's not quoted right when it is. But notice what he says in 30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now God's mindful of every sparrow. There's not a sparrow going to die except the Father permit it or allow it or has hand in it, however you want to say it. And so God's now Jesus says, but for you the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Not that he knows the number of them, but he knows every end of it. I'm, we're getting down to details that's beyond our ability to even think. I don't even know that we could, if we had a week long, calculate and number the hairs in this man's head. And if we did, tomorrow we wouldn't know which one was which. But you know the Lord, I tell you, he's mindful of the sparrow. He's mindful of the world and the creation but he's mindful of his church as well. And so even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not therefore, for ye are of more value than many sparrows. How many? How many sparrows are you worth? I believe we could do this. I believe we could see our worth in God's eyes. And we're talking the value of his church as a collective unit or as individuals. You know what God gave and paid so that the church could be delivered, be freed, be adopted, and be called out of the world. He gave the price of the Lord Jesus Christ that we could be delivered. Now, if you compare the price of a sparrow to the Lord, just think about how silly that that is. So if the Lord's mindful of the sparrow and is in control of even their death, is He not in control of us as well? Is He not in control of every situation that we encounter, that we face, and that we find? Whosoever, so ye are of more value than many sparrows. So the Lord has provided the Lord Jesus the greatest price and greatest gift ever given. And if the Lord's in control of the sparrow, remember what He's saying here, fear not them which kill the body. You see, even they, though they think they've got power to do as they please. And just go with me in your mind. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, he said, I'm going to throw these three boys in the furnace 
and I'm going to take their life from them. King uh, Darius, those princes that were evil and wicked, they said, we'll make a law against prayer. We'll throw Daniel in the lion's den, the den of lions, and we'll get rid of him. Simon Peter, they took and arrested. They said, tomorrow we're going to cut his head off. Did they have the power to do that? They did. Did they have power over whether they died or not? Nebuchadnezzar heated it seven times what it wanted to be heated. It was so hot that the men that threw them in burned up and perished. But you know those men walked around in that furnace and there was a fourth man seen in there with them. Daniel went into the den of lions and spent the night there. And in the morning the king came and said, Oh Daniel, hast thou God delivered thee? And Daniel answered out of the lion's den. And there was Peter. He was chained up in the prison. And in the middle of the night an angel come and let go of his bounds and let him out of there. Who's in control of whether I die or not? Who's really? Why, preacher, they're going to kill me. I tell you, the sparrow's not going to fall to the ground. The hunter is not going to kill a sparrow today except the Lord allow him to kill one. God's got that kind of control. So know this. The world or the devil or however you want to put it, they're not going to take your life except the heavenly Father Allow that to happen. True. Well, preacher, I don't think God would allow that. Well, you're not above the Lord. Remember that? I'm not above the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord humbled Himself to death, but not just to dying, even to the death of the cross. So what can we do here? Can we not trust the hand of our Heavenly Father in every situation And in every place, could we not recognize, Oh, Father, you're in control of this. Even as the Lord Jesus prayed, you see the Lord in the garden. He knows what's coming up. He knows He's going to be betrayed. He knows the suffering and death that awaits Him. And He falls on His face there in the garden and He says, Oh, Father, if there be some other way, let this cup pass from me. This is not what I want to endure. This is not what I want to face. I do not want to suffer this. I don't want to bear the shame of this. But Father, whatever Your will is, let it be. I believe there there is the place that the church can find rest. I'm trusting in the goodness and in the hand of my Heavenly Father who is providentially in control of every situation and every place that I find myself in. Paul said this in Acts chapter 20, the Holy Ghost, in every city that he went, the Holy Ghost was witnessing that bonds and chains awaited him at Jerusalem. And you remember, maybe it was in Ephesus. They said, you're going to go be arrested. You're going to lose your life. But Paul said this, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's Paul saying? My life doesn't matter to me. My peace and my joy, that doesn't matter to me. What my joy is, 
is that I would finish the course that God the Father has laid before me and finish it. Let me make sure I'm quoting it right. That I might finish my course with joy. That Paul wouldn't be a a bitter prisoner, but that Paul could recognize my father's in control of this. I wouldn't be here if the father didn't allow it. And yeah, Nero's going to take my head off. I'm going to lose my life for the gospel's sake. But I can do it with joy because I know this is the will of my Father. And you know the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 12 where we read earlier, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. You know what the Lord could do? He could endure that suffering and shame and torment and do it with joy because He knew that the Father was in control of that. Peter even testified to him. He said it was by the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God that the Lord Jesus was slain. Now their wicked hands, they were guilty in that work, but it was God that allowed it to happen. Know this, church. Those that are born again, the heavenly Father that loved you and gave the Lord Jesus for you, He is in control of the littlest parts of your life. He's in control of every situation. There's no need to fear what can kill the body, but we need to fear the Lord and seek His face because He's in control of every situation. Well, preacher, you ought not pray about that. I've thought that way before. I thought, well, that's too small to worry about praying. But you know, the Lord says through Peter, He says, cast all your care on Him. He's not troubled with my care, but he's, He's concerned about every little sparrow that you see, and the God's truth is, you think nothing about. The Father's aware of them. He's providing for them. And He says in Psalm 104, listen to this Scripture now. He's talking about all manner of animals and beasts and birds and fish. And He says, Psalm 104 verse 27, These all wait upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season, that thou givest them they gather. Thou openest thy hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So God is providing for all of the animals? By the Scripture, by the Scripture He is. He opens His hand, He gives, and they eat. He withdraws His hand from them and they're troubled. He brings the breath away from them and they die. The Lord's in control of even the beasts of the field. Well, He's in control of the church as well. The situation that you're in, it was not a surprise to Almighty God. The Lord has brought us here to this place, to this time, for this purpose. And you know, we we may not know the purpose while we're alive here. We, We may never know the purpose as to why we're here and why we endure but we can rest in knowing the Lord is in control of all things. And so he says, You're of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore, 
Whosoever therefore shall confess me, I will confess before my Father. Whosoever shall be ashamed. Now I want you to think about this maybe, maybe just a little different than you ever have. But now he's talking about people that are pressuring them and that are threatening to take their life. So when they're on death row, when they're facing excommunication, when they're facing being burned at the stake, the Lord says, don't be ashamed of me and be afraid of dying in that situation. Now, you think about where we are today now. I, I believe we're all, we're all like this to some extent. A place comes up where we could pray, where we could say something to somebody, where we could be a help. And in our mind, the devil, you'll be made fun of if you do that. But you know, if you do that, they're going to think less of you. If you do that, really, you might get in trouble if you do that. Don't be ashamed of the Lord because He's going to stand one day and confess us before the Father. He's going to stand and say, this is one that's under my blood. This is one that I gave my life for. But them that deny, them that cower down, them that are unwilling to testify of the Lord, He's going to deny them as well. So you see, what's going on down here, there's a proving going on that as trouble and as trials, as hardship, as sickness, as death and as separation goes on, there's some that denounce the Lord and leave. Ain't that right? There's some that endure to the end. And he says, he says in verse 22 of this chapter, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. So in them that God has done a work in, there will be an endurance by His grace. But them that deny, the Lord's not going to claim them before the Lord. So one more place real fast in Romans chapter number 8. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, He called. Whom He called, He justified. Whom He justified, He glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So Paul's saying, look, we endure hardships. He's talking about hardships in the verses before. But he says we have the Holy Spirit to guide us through this. And this we know, that God who's in control of all things and was in control of our own salvation. And it was God who forgave us. It was God who justified us. It was God who adopted us. It was God who brought us into the family. That is, God has been mindful of us and brought us out of our sins and saved us from destruction. This same God is still active in our life working everything for the good. Not that everything is good, but He's working all things for good to them who are the called according to His purpose. What shall we say? If God's for us, 
Who's going to stop God? If God, he's going to go on and say, if God has justified us, then who's going to condemn us? If God's forgiven us, then who's going to make us guilty? No, I tell you what he's going to come to, we're more than conquerors over everything and that there is nothing that's going to separate us from the love of Christ. We can go home tonight in our heart knowing that nothing's going to separate us from Christ and that everything is in control of Almighty God. So we're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in our abilities. We're not trusting in our name. But unto God the Father who is in control of everything unto Him we look and we trust for His glory, for His strength and for His help.